The end of the world is here. Ah! It's the end of the world as we know it. But I feel fine. No, wait a minute. I don't feel fine. What do we feel? We feel anxious. We're dealing with a timeline here of events that we cannot control. And in our day and age, we're hearing conflicting messages everywhere that we turn. Some people are saying things like, this is the end, and they're freaking out. And other people are saying, it's not that big of a deal, don't worry about it. But those who would say it's the end of the world, they've strung together all these Bible uh, verses, prophecies, positions of planets, conspiracy theories, and it's accomplished nothing more than freaking you out. And other people have taken this, oh, it doesn't matter, I know where I'm going, que sera, sera, and they don't really care about prophecy or the apocalyptic message, and so they'll stay away from books like Daniel or messages that are spoken of by Jesus foretelling of the future or things that are spoken of in the book of Revelation because they're just like, oh, it'll just happen and it'll all be fine. But listen, it's in the Bible, and we need to take the position that it matters because if it didn't matter, God would not have put it in Scripture. Prophecy matters, and here's the other thing I want you to get. Prophecy can be understood by everyday people, not just Bible scholars and doomsday, Mad Max, dystopian, world-seeking alarmists. You can understand these things because the book of Revelation was written to every single Christian, not just super intelligent, well-studied church leaders. Most likely, it was John, the disciple that Jesus loved, who wrote the book of Revelation while living in exile on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. This is where he was most likely exiled for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he wrote this book as a letter to be carried to seven churches off of the coast of Asia Minor, or now what is known as modern-day Turkey. He not only intended for these seven churches to hear this message and to read this letter, but he also um, used this as a, a, a picture to help all of the churches to receive this by using the number seven quite frequent, frequently throughout his prophecy. We see Daniel did the same thing because in prophetic language, the number seven means wholeness or completeness. We see this in the way that God created the world. He established a seven-day week. We see that that is a whole or complete picture. And so the number seven has significance in prophetic language in the book of Daniel and also in the book of Revelation. Uh, John does a great job of helping his original hearers, his original intended audience, understand a lot of these messages because he uses the same framework that the prophet Daniel used hundreds of years earlier to convey uh, apocalyptic, prophetic, end-time event messages. And they understood a lot of those things because a lot of those prophecies of Daniel were fulfilled in their lifetime, or they were able to look back and see where they were fulfilled, and then they would have understood a lot of these pieces moving forward. So John borrows a lot of the imagery. If you compare the book of Revelation to the book of Daniel, which most people who are scholarly in end-time events or eschatology, they pull a lot from those two books because you can tell that John is seeing some of the same things and describing them in the same ways that Daniel saw and described them as well, which also shows us the consistency of God in helping his people to see and understand what's coming about. So as we look at this, we're going to go through the first 
eight verses in the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about the blessing that is attached to these verses and what the big blessing is all about. So if you have your Bible, go over to Revelation chapter 1. Some of you have uh, dabbled in maybe reading some of this before, and you have opened up your Bible to the book of Revelation, and you read the first three or four chapters, and you went, yeah, I'm out. I, don't, I have no idea what's going on here. And, or maybe it was too scary, made your heart race a little too much. Listen, I want to set your mind at ease and show you the purpose of the book of Revelation today, and I want to show you the purpose of some of these end-time prophecies. And then we're going to talk later in this series about where we kind of fall in the pattern and where we fall into the timeline and what we can be looking for and looking forward to. So we're going to talk about all those things throughout this series, but we're going to start here, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. Let's read this together. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his son, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so. Amen. Verse eight. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. One of the very first things that we read about as John's writing this prophecy, as he's writing this vision, these things he's being shown, he opens up with a blessing. He says there is a blessing that, it, that is attached to reading the words of this prophecy. There is a blessing attached to hearing this, and there is a blessing attached to keeping these words. There is a blessing attached to end times prophecy, and you need to understand this. A lot of people shy away from it because they feel intimidated by it. They don't understand it, but they're missing out on the blessing of it. Verse, the, these first few verses show us a great deal about the purpose of this book because God wants us to know what takes place. Look at the very first verse in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He's showing us the things that soon must take place. So in other words, God is wanting you to know what's going to happen, what's coming, so you can know what to do, so you can know how to react, how to respond. He doesn't want you to be clueless. He's going to give you an insight to what is coming. That's the purpose. He says it right there in the very opening. God gave this revelation to John to be circulated to those seven churches and to the church universal so that we could stay anchored and grounded in what really matters and stay focused as things begin to unveil. Because if we, if we don't, we're going to wonder where God is in the middle of all this, 
We're going to wonder, well, is, is he really, does he really care? Uh, is, this, is this ever going to end? Is this only going to get worse? Is it going to get better? Should I be trying to make it better? Should I just accept that it's going to be worse? What's my role? What am I supposed to do in the middle of all this? Should I stand on a street corner on a box with a big sign and just scream out, the end is near? You know, what, what am I supposed to do? And, and so this helps us to see what our role is because we understand he wants his people to know. He says it right there. He wants his people to know the things that must soon take place. He wants us to know not so we'd be full of fear, not so we would be full of anxiety, but so that we would be able to trust, so that we would be able to rest and live in light of eternity to the mission and the purpose that He's called us to. There is a blessing attached to hearing and keeping the words of end times prophecy. We see this right here in John's opening statements. We need to remember that the time was near then so yes, the time is nearer now, but we need to understand a few things that are revealed to John in this book. Probably the most crucial part of this revelation, John's vision identifies something that we're going to explore deeper throughout this series, and that is he identifies the cycle of a system that repeats over and over again throughout human history. He identifies this system and attaches a name to it. He calls it Babylon. And here's the cycle. The cycle is this. God establishes His people, and they're super grateful for what He's done. And then the second thing that happens is that God's people begin to compromise under the leadership of the spirit of the Antichrist. And instead of trusting God, the leader diverts the people's attention to trusting in economic wealth and military might. The third thing that happens in this cycle is that the leader demands the people's allegiance and worship, and those who refuse are persecuted and they suffer. And the fourth step in this is that God delivers His people, and they become super grateful again, and you repeat this cycle over and over again. One of the things that I really love is I love reading church history. And uh, one of the very first things when I started in ministry 20 years ago that I remember buying was this huge, giant, thick book that tells the story of Christianity from uh, its inception uh, that started in the book of Acts, and it goes all the way through history and through uh, today and, and modern times and how Christianity is, it has evolved and has, and has been viewed and has been persecuted and how this thing changed here and during this period and this thing changed here, and you began to see the similarities. And one of the biggest things, and I read that giant book cover to cover, and the one thing that I noticed was I saw a pattern, and it's the very same pattern that John talks about. I saw this cycle. You would see God did something great for His people. The people go, thank you, God. We're, they make all kind of commitments to God. If you read the Old Testament, you'd see they made all kind of covenants with God. We're going to promise we'll never be bad again. We're going to be good. We're going to love you. We're going to serve you, and, and we're going to make all these promises. And God says, if you keep these promises, if you do all this, man, you're going to walk in my blessing. You're going to walk in my favor. And they're like, we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden, now that they're living in a time of peace and a time of blessing, their flesh starts taking over and they start getting really uh, tempted over in this area and they start compromising here and there. And then that compromise leads down into this downward spiral because this spirit of Antichrist is diverting their trust from trusting in God and resting in Him and Him being enough. And they're now trusting in economic power, military might, because anytime a threat comes, it's no longer let's turn to God for help. Let's turn to our wealth. Let's turn to our military strength. 
And then you see the spirit of Antichrist draws the, the hope and the trust of the people away from trusting and resting in God. And then that leader demands the people's allegiance. He goes, well, since I'm the one leading this thing, you need to trust in me because maybe that leader's experienced a measure of victory. Maybe that nation, that country has experienced a measure of victory. And the leader says, I'm worthy now to be worshipped or viewed as a god, or I'm going to demand your allegiance, and if you don't fall in line, then you're going to be persecuted and you're going to suffer. Think back to um, the book of Exodus. You see that during that time, we call these things superpowers, right? Uh, Egypt was the focus of the world. Egypt was the superpower of the world. Well, who was sitting uh, atop the throne in the land of Egypt when it was a known superpower in the world? It was Pharaoh, and Pharaoh demanded allegiance. Pharaoh demanded worship. How did Pharaoh maintain his power, and what did the people of Egypt keep their security in? The fact that they were very wealthy, the fact that they were right there on the Nile River, they put their strength and their source in that, and in their military. They had a very strong military. Anybody that messed with the Egyptians, their army would take them over, and they had plenty of resources and supplies because they were a wealthy group of people. And then you saw the downfall of Egypt. And then you see another kingdom arise. You see the Babylonian Empire arise. You see uh, during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, they come in, they overtake God's people. And now these people are in this exile. They're in this captivity. They're not living in Jerusalem. The, the nation is now living in Babylon. And you're seeing them suffer and be persecuted under this uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, I'm going to make a statue of myself and everybody's going to worship it because we're really strong in our military, and so you should be afraid of us, and we're super wealthy, and we're rich because we've taken over and conquered all of these different groups of people. And so now you have to show me your allegiance and worship me, and so they erect this huge statue of King Nebuchadnezzar, and if you don't worship, what happens? You suffer you get persecuted. But then what does God do? He delivers them out of that. And you see now God, oh, they're so thankful. They rebuild the wall of Jerusalem during the time of Nehemiah. Oh, it's great. Now we're free from exile. But then you see all of these things, these patterns just happening over and over again. And then during the, the Maccabean period, you see Rome come in and now Rome has overtaken the people of God. And now during Jesus's life, there's a Roman occupation because now Rome is the center of the world. Rome is the new superpower. And they're building all these huge statues and they're building all these great Colosseums. And what were the Romans known for? Military conquest, military might. And they were telling people to put their hope in that. And if you didn't give your allegiance to Caesar, you would suffer persecution. And there was compromise, there was apathy, there was all sorts of challenges and suffering that the people dealt with. And then you even fast forward into, in, in the modern times, you, you, you see uh, the Persian Wars, you see um, all of the things that happened where the, the superpower of the world, even, even uh, uh, before America was a superpower, you see how England uh, rose to power, and it was all about the monarchy there, and you saw the kings and, and queens and all the different things that happened during those periods of time, and then you see the apathy, and God deliver us, and then now you see the United States of America and how the spotlight has shifted over to now where there's a new superpower that's in the world. And you see, what are we putting our hope in? Most of the time, we're putting our hope in our military. We're putting our hope in our economic prowess. This is a cycle. This is a pattern. And John illustrates this all throughout this book 
of Revelation because he's showing you this system. This system referred to in prophetic language as Babylon, and Babylon has gone by many names in human history, and it is rooted in the spirit of Antichrist. So that means that this spiritual system, this spiritual cycle is something that's going to be repeated over and over again until Jesus returns and God's people are, you, are reunited with Him in the presence of God forever. The spotlight of the center of the world's economic and military power shifts throughout different ages of human history, and we call these countries superpowers in our days and age, but the Bible calls them Babylon. Remember, Babylon is a spiritual system rooted in the spirit of Antichrist. It has happened, it is happening, and it will happen again when the people divert their attention away from trusting in God and Him being enough and them resting in Him, and they begin to divert their attention and their worship into a different direction. So hear me today. I want to be very clear. COVID-19 is not the end of days. COVID-19 is not the end of the days. I know you're reading a lot of things. I know you're hearing a lot of things. But this is part of the rhythm of the system of Babylon and living in a fallen world that is prone to sickness. We're going to talk about this more in depth in a few weeks, but you need to remember a few things. America is not mentioned in the Bible ever. America is a great nation, and I am privileged to live here, but America is not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is. Just because we are experiencing suffering in America does not signal that the end is near. Because people have been and people still are suffering far worse things than we have ever seen in our lifetime. And they're suffering in the name of Jesus for the cause of Christ. People are suffering far worse things. And if anyone thought that the tribulation was upon them, it shouldn't be us. Because the things others have experienced are so far removed from even the worst things that we have experienced. And we need to remember that. So we need to chill out. We need to calm down. Get your finger off of the trigger of the mouse ready to share or off of the share button on your smartphone where every single thing that comes across your screen, you're just ready to fire out as another new sign that the end is near. I do believe that we are nearer, obviously, than John's audience was. They thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. They didn't think, oh, this book is going to be written and we're going to receive this letter, and he's talking about thousands of years later. They didn't think that. They thought it was like next week, and so they were living and, and preparing that, and John probably thought that too, because no man knows the hour, no man knows the day, no man knows. There's just a lot of bad things happening, and when I experience any amount of suffering, when I experience any degree of suffering, I can go, oh no, is it time? And we're not mindful of the suffering all around the world. Folks, it's not about the fact that now I'm experiencing bad things and so Jesus has got to be coming back because it's going to happen next week because we're experiencing bad things. No, we are caught up in a system. And this system, this cycle has happened. It is happening. And it will happen again. But the good news of the book of Revelation is that there will come an end to this cycle. This cycle will stop. It will ultimately be defeated, and this spirit of Antichrist will ultimately be taken down. And it's not something you and I are called to live in fear about or be anxious or trying to figure out. 
I never see, listen, I never see anywhere in Scripture where we're instructed at any level to try to figure this thing out because that's not the purpose. It's not to where we're supposed to go, oh, well, who's the Antichrist? Is it, is, is it this person? Is it this world leader? Oh, I, I bet it's Putin. Oh, I bet it's the Pope. Oh, it may be the president of the United States. It may be Donald Trump or, or maybe the next president or, oh, it may be um, the, the Chinese president or maybe Kim, Kim Jong-un uh, you know, or whatever. We, we try to figure out who's it going to be. What if it's none of those? What if we're just in the rhythm still? What if we're still in the cycle? This is how a fallen world acts and reacts and guess what? has acted for centuries, has acted for centuries before our time. And yes, we do see things ramping up. Yes, we see some things progressively getting worse in the world. I, I don't deny that at all. And we are nearer to the return of the Lord. But just because we're experiencing suffering, just because we have to stay inside of our house for a couple of months, doesn't mean that we're experiencing the tribulation. Just because we're we're experiencing some of these things that may be triggering you to go out and find, oh no, oh no, this is happening, or oh no, this thing, or this person, or this situation. That's not for us to try to go and piece all that together. We're never told to do that. Prophecy, as you look at the way that prophecy was handled in the Bible, the purpose of it was for when things would begin to be accomplished that were prophesied about, you would go, oh, hey, there's that thing. And you would be able to see it and know it. Not so you could figure it out beforehand. If you try to figure out prophecy beforehand, you're going to get preconceived ideas about how it's supposed to happen, and you'll probably miss it when it actually does happen because you're so bought into how you think it's supposed to happen. Um, uh, uh, case in point, the Messiah coming to earth, that was prophesied for centuries, and people had it figured out, and everybody had it figured out in the context of their day. And it was always about them getting what they wanted with Messiah's return. You go to when Jesus actually comes and enters into human history and actually uh, puts on flesh and comes into this world, uh, born of a virgin. He doesn't come the way they want. He doesn't act like they thought he would act because they had figured out all the prophecy, what he was going to do. And what they had figured out was that he was going to come and bring in military might and military conquest, and he was going to come and overthrow this wicked, occupying Roman government that was causing them a lot of problem. And they thought Jesus was there to overtake the Romans. As a matter of fact, when they began to worship him on what we call Palm Sunday, they were laying down palm branches, which is the Jewish sign for victory, because they thought the Romans are about to get their butts kicked, and we're celebrating our warrior king. And then instead of him going and taking the Romans down, he gets arrested and whipped and beaten and hung on a cross and they're like whoa maybe we maybe we were worshiping the wrong guy or maybe we were worshiping our idea about how we thought that guy was supposed to act and what he was supposed to do you see when we elevate our ideas our preconceived ideas we miss it and we see that the jewish people missed their messiah and those who are orthodox in following judaism are still awaiting the messiah but he has come, his name is Jesus, and he has bought and paid for the sins of the world, and he still has his arms open wide, wanting anyone to receive that free gift of his grace by faith in what he's done for you and for me. But they missed it. Then you look at how prophecy was fulfilled in the Bible where someone understood how to properly use it. You see on the day of Pentecost, 
When the Holy Spirit fell and those who were in the upper room began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, they were speaking in tongues and the people were going, what is happening? They checked their watches and they're like, it's not time for them to be drunk. It's too early to be drunk because apparently it was socially unacceptable to be drunk at that time. These guys are babbling all these, all these words and they're actually speaking in other languages that are known like they got to be drunk. This, this is not something, but it's not time for them to do that. Peter stands up and he says, guys, they're not drunk like you suppose. He said, instead, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he, he begins to recite Joel's prophecies. And as he recites that, he's letting them know, this is that prophecy coming to pass. This is that thing coming to pass. This happened all throughout the life of Jesus too. You see, when Jesus would go somewhere, do something, it would say, he did this to fulfill this that was written by Isaiah. And you see how Jesus confirmed, and as we look at prophetic language, when these things begin to happen in our world, those of us who have read prophecy, those of us who are awaiting and not just trying to figure all of it out, when it happens, we'll go, this is it, this is that thing. And we can be aware. It shouldn't cause fear, it shouldn't cause panic, it should cause an excitement in us, knowing that Jesus is coming soon. And I believe that he is indeed coming soon. And I do believe that things are ramping up, but I also believe we're still caught up in this cycle and we need to be careful not to try to attach all of the things that we may be experiencing that may cause us fear and anxiety. That is not of God. End times prophecy is not meant to cause you fear. It's not meant to cause you anxiety. It's meant to give you peace and assurance and purpose and focus and hope and evaluate your, your, your heart. It's not meant to cause fear. If it's causing fear, then the odds are the enemy is trying to use what God meant for good, and he's trying to use it to get you to trust in finances, in military, in the Babylon system, in world leaders. And if that's where your attention has to go to find peace, then you've taken the bait of trusting in the system, and you're missing out on the purpose of this great book and the purpose that it's supposed to accomplish. Remember what was said in the very opening statement of the book of Revelation, this is given, so you just know what's coming. So you'll know, so you'll be aware, so you will be ready. You see, the, the, the big blessing that we have now is Christ. He is our hope now and forever. Go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to go quickly through a few different passages of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 through 18, Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13 says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who are dead, all right, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an arch archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's saying, listen, Jesus is coming back. 
And if you're already dead, don't worry, you're going to rise. And then those of us who are still alive, when he comes, if we see him during that time in our lifetime, we, we can know and be, and be certain that we're going to go with him. We're going to be caught up with him in the air. This is to encourage one another, he said. He said, encourage one another with these words, not freak each other out, not worry about, uh, oh no, i got to make sure I do everything on earth I want to do. That's a selfish position for us to try to think about all the human experiences that we need to go ahead and have. There's nothing better than being with Jesus, both now and forever. And so encourage one another with these words. In Revelation 1, where we read, let's reread verse 4 through 8, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes on the earth will wail on the account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Lord Almighty. John is trying to remind us that the big blessing we have now is Christ. The blessing that is attached to hearing and doing the words written in the book of Revelation is that you would know that God is faithful and that God is bigger than whatever part of the cycle of this Babylonian thing we may be on. The blessing is that you live like eternity matters because your values are different than someone who doesn't have hope. So this should not be causing anxiety. This should actually be stirring up in us hope. It should actually be stirring up in us assurance that, man, my God is coming back. Jesus is coming back, just like we read in Thessalonians, like we read in Revelation. He's coming back, and God is faithful. He was, He is, and He is to come. He is faithful. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega, which means that He's the first and the last and everything in between, and that He cares about you and He cares about me. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read another text. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. We're going to read part of Paul's prayer over the Ephesians, all right? Ephesians 1 verse verse 11, we're going to read through 14, just a few verses here. Paul says it like this, in Him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. He says, you are sealed If you're a part of the family of God, you are sealed with the promised Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So your confidence comes from this consistency of serving a big God. 
The Babylon system, the spirit of Antichrist, it will fail. And that's what the book of Revelation helps us to see and what it's all about. But before John even starts laying out that case, before he starts talking about this system and and bowls and and trumpets and, and scrolls and all of these things to illustrate to us this pattern of this system that's ultimately going to be overtaken, he lets us know God is the Alpha and the Omega and He's coming back and you have been bought by His precious blood. The God is bigger than this. The biggest blessing for reading and hearing these words is assurance and confidence in Christ being enough that you serve a big God. The end of time is near, but God is bigger than all your fears. And all of this is true because it rhymes. So anyways, go over to John chapter 14. The end of time is near. We're not denying that. But God is bigger than your anxiety. He's bigger than your fears. John 14 and verse 1, Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled because you need to believe in God. Believe in also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. So I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the, you know the way to where I'm going. And so Thomas, Jesus' disciple, says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on you do know him and have seen him. He says, from now on, you know him. You see him. Like, I and the Father are one. He's saying, I'm going to prepare this place for you. If it wasn't so, I would have told you, but I'm telling you, it is. It's true. And we're trusting and resting in the words of Christ. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is bigger. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on the earth, like John wrote about in Revelation. He's above all. He's preeminent. He's coming again. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to rest. We're going to exhale. We're going to let not our hearts be troubled. And I want you to trust in the big God that you serve. I want you to trust and rest that if you have put your faith and hope in Christ and you have been made alive again by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has sealed you. And if you don't have peace with God, then perhaps today is the day of your salvation. Perhaps today is the day where you actually recognize and realize the fact that maybe you've been putting your confidence in the wrong thing. Maybe you've been putting your confidence and your hope in the leader of your country. Maybe you've been putting your hope in the fact that the president's going to fix everything. Maybe you've been putting your hope in the fact that our military's strong and we're going to be okay because our military's strong. Or maybe you are putting your hope in the fact that our economy's going to bounce back. We're going to be okay. Our, our economy's good. We're, we have a strong economy. We have the best economy. We're, we're going to be good. And if you're looking to the military, if you're looking to the economy, if you're looking to the president, to bring you peace because of what they say or what they do or what they report, you are looking to the wrong source to bring you peace. You're looking to the Babylon system to bring you peace. You're looking to the same rhythm that people have trusted in for years, and it will fail you. It will fail you because there is a cycle. 
there is a pattern. And for us to think that we are exempt from this pattern just because we feel that we're special, I've got news for you, church. We're, we're not. We're not. We, we, we see how things in this world are, are bent towards sin and bit, bit towards the spirit of antichrist hey when we when we have good leadership in place the, the righteous rejoice yeah it's great it's great we can rejoice when things may be going the christian's way but when the things aren't going the christian way where do we find our hope well were we putting our hope in the fact that things were going the christian's way because we had the right elected officials because we had the a great economy because we have a really great military and we feel safe and secure and at peace or are we putting our hope all the time, whether things are going the Christian way or not, in Jesus Christ, because He's the only one that won't fail, and not every Christian has the benefit of living in a free country, and they will never have the benefit of living in a country like ours. What do they do? What's our message to them? What's our message to those people? I think that if they had a message to us, those who are living and enduring persecution under godless leaders, who are putting uh, all sorts of pressures and demands, and, and these people are meeting in secret, and these people are meeting in their homes, and they don't think a whole lot about it. I think that those people would tell us, rest and trust in Christ because He is enough. Do you have peace with God? Because you can't have peace from God that passes your understanding that guards your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. You can't have that peace from God if you don't have peace with God. The only way to have peace with God is to do what John told us by putting our confidence in the fact that Jesus is bigger. He, he let out with that. He opened up the book of Revelation with that because he knew. He knew he was going to write about some scary stuff. He knew he was going to write about some hard things. And he knew that people who would, would experience suffering would turn and would go, oh, is, this, is this it? What's going to happen? And he wanted them to know before they ever started reading about the bad stuff who the author and the finisher of our faith was. He wanted people to know where to put their hope and their trust. So before you go running off to string together conspiracy theories, before you go running off to try to... Uh, find Bible verses to attach to certain situations where you can say, oh, look, see, this is happening, and the Bible says this. Before you run off to just do that haphazardly, and it causes fear and worry and anxiety, stop. Let not your hearts be troubled. And if you're the type of person that does not have that peace in the middle of this storm, I would humbly submit to you and plead with you to take a step back and say, if I'm not having the peace from God right now, do I really know Him? I mean, you know a lot about Him. You may have been brought up in the church. You may have been baptized. You may have been confirmed. You may have learned all the things you needed to learn and knew, knew the prayers, and you may have repeated the prayer after the pastor. And you, you may have done it a hundred times but I want you to stop. Maybe right now in your living room or, or at your desk or wherever you're watching this or listening to this message. And I want to ask you to stop and take a step back. And I want you to ask yourself, 
do I really know him or do I just know a lot about him? Because if I'm living in fear, do I have peace with God? Am I sealed with the Holy Spirit? Do I really know and have confidence in the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the price for my salvation? Because if I do, I no longer have an obligation to be afraid of death. Death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. I want you to evaluate that and ask yourself. And the Bible tells us to do that, to to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and ask ourselves, am I really a person who believes this or am I a person who just knows a lot of facts, who's memorized a lot of Scripture and who's sat through a lot of sermons? Or do I really know Jesus? Do I know Jesus the way that John talks about Jesus in the book of Revelation? Where he begins to say, be confident in the Alpha, the Omega. Don't you know that you're a kingdom of priests? Don't you know that you've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus like he says in verse 7? Don't you know he's coming back for you? Don't you know he's telling you these things because he wants you to be aware? But he wants to remind you how big he is. That is the big blessing. And the biggest blessing you may experience today is the eye-opening revelation that you need Jesus Christ. That you need to put your hope and your faith in him. That you need to say, Jesus, I need you. And maybe you're weeping right now in your living room. Maybe the Holy Spirit is drawing you. That is a good thing. Don't be embarrassed by the fact that you, you just realized you've known a lot about God, but, but you don't know Him. Instead, cry out to Him. Don't, don't reassure yourself because you, you've got perfect church attendance. Let your hope be in the gospel alone that Jesus Christ Himself has paid the price, that He has died in your place taking your sin, my sin, the sin of the world upon himself so that we could be made righteous in the eyes of God. He's welcoming you today. And my hope would be that you would be directed toward Christ alone. And, and, and if you have peace with God, then the peace that flows from God can rule and reign in your heart. Assurance and confidence that Christ is enough is what we need. Next week, we're going to expose misconceptions and end times prophecies about what the Bible actually says and means. And I don't want you to miss that. But at the same time, I don't want any of this to be something that causes you to raise alarm or fear. I want you to go back to Christ as your source of hope, as your source of peace. And I want you to realize that He is enough to where you go, you know what? This world could throw a lot of things at me. I'm not going to live foolish, but I don't have to live afraid. I'm not going to live reckless, but I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to make decisions because maybe the value of the dollar is going down that are, that, that are fear-driven or that I feel vulnerable or that you, you want to put your hope in this or that. No, no. Remind yourself, and I pray you were reminded today in your evaluating where you're placing your hope in this moment. And I pray that you would find that your hope is anchored and grounded in Christ. And if it's not, cry out to him today. He will save you. He is faithful. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. 
and he will seal you with his Holy Spirit. He will make you new and he will remove those fears of where you stand with God Almighty because you can rest going, I know I'm right with God. Not because I did something, but because of what Jesus did in me and how he sealed me with his spirit. And then I can rest and I can have joy like never before in the fact that things may be going on around me that I can't control, but Jesus is bigger. I serve a big God, and that is a big blessing that's attached to that. Let me pray for us. God, help us to see the big blessing in the gospel. Help us to see the big blessing that, Jesus, you are enough, that you are the answer for all of humanity's needs, all of our frailty, all of our insecurities. You are the answer to our need. You are the answer to our sin problem. You are the answer to our depravity. You are the answer to all of our uh, efforts that we try to make things right and try to balance and tip the scales of justice in our favor. You are the answer because you're bigger than all those things. And you are our hope and you are our peace. And I pray that people would find their confidence in you and you alone. That we'd remind one another and stir one another up to be reminded that this system will fall, that this false security, that it's not where my hope lies, but I'm resting today and joyful and confident in Christ alone. Help us to identify with you, Jesus. We thank you for this. Amen.